with my properties with my IRA, I think I pay two or three hundred dollars per asset for them to fill, you know, to work the K-1 forms uh, into my, I think it's a 992 form to ultimately report your UBIT. And for somebody who understands it, it's not complex. It doesn't take a long time, so the hours stay low. For somebody who doesn't understand it, you're going to pay quite a bit because they have to research the topic, they have to understand it and make sure that they're filing it properly for you. So having that team in place, whatever you're doing in real estate is key. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Josh Plave from Wall to Main. Today, we are talking about investing in real estate with your self-directed retirement account and some of the nuances behind it, the important nuances. Specifically, we get into UBIT, unrelated business income tax. Kind of a detail, but it's a very important detail that is not discussed often enough. There are many details to self-directed retirement account investing in real estate that are oftentimes glossed over. And this is one that, in my opinion, is glossed over far too often. And people need to be sure that you know the requirements before you make any you know, investment in real estate with a self-directed IRA. And you know the details. And Josh has a tool that he uses for himself and his investors to dig into UBIT tax implications. And you just have to listen to uh, find out what that actually is. If you do enjoy the show, we ask that you go to your favorite podcast app, hit the subscribe button so that you'll get future updates and catch us on future episodes. If you're enjoying the show and you're an Apple user, please take one minute, give us a rating, five stars if you would, a comment, very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. I see your comments. And it just gives me such a good feeling and uh, really appreciate it. Just a quick ask. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love talking about these important topics. And uh, this is a very important one. So without any further ado, here we go with Josh. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Excited to talk with you. We're going to talk about some important things here related to investing in real estate with retirement accounts. Before we dive into it, though, can you tell our listeners a bit about your background and uh, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people ask, uh, you know, if you haven't seen me, I'm 30 years old. And why is a guy this young talking about retirement accounts? Uh, you know, I started actually when I was 16 years old. I opened my first Roth IRA kind of. Um, yeah, at the suggestion of my mother and my grandfather, who were both CPAs. Uh, and they they said, you know, you should start looking out for your future. And so I started, uh, had, had an interest in retirement accounts from a young age. I invested some earnings from working at a, a summer, you know, camp uh, that year. And I just kind of started investing, you know, in stuff that I knew at the time and took an interest in it, continued contributing to it. And it, it proved that, you know, the value of compounding dollar or of, of a compounding growth is, is really important. Um, so it really kind of started my interest uh, in investing at a young age. Skipping ahead a bit, uh, my grandfather and my mother that I mentioned, they both passed away, unfortunately. Uh, and what that did eventually was leave me with kind of the retirement accounts of a baby boomer and a member of the greatest generation. And it wasn't really like a life-changing amount of money, but it was enough that I needed to make sure I was going to be a good steward of you know everything they'd worked for, making sure that I was going to take those accounts and grow them methodically into the future and not really, uh, you know, take it, you know, like a lot of young people would and, and 
could either spend it or put on a investment and hope that it paid out. So I took a lot of time to, to learn everything I could possibly do. And at the time, I was already jumping into real estate. And so I kind of just did a, a full, you know, I call it a self-taught curriculum where you, you listen to all the podcasts like this, you read all the books, you attend all the seminars, you do everything you possibly can to learn every aspect and see which avenue you want to go down. And so, you know, from there, I ended up uh, going into private money lending where I lent out some of my funds. And I also ended up going into multifamily because that's ultimately what I wanted to do. I wanted to scale up. I learned that's where I wanted to go. The private money lending was kind of a way to start things up while and keep the money flowing while I, I got the multifamily up and running. And uh, that's what we've done ever since. Nice. And, you know, something that we've touched on a few times with the show on the show before uh, that comes along with investing, you know, it comes along with most of the time investing in real estate, especially, especially multifamily these days through a retirement account is taxes. There's a lot of people out there saying right now that you can invest tax-free in real estate with your self-directed IRA. And that's not really a hundred percent accurate. There are certain taxes that don't apply, but there are other taxes that do apply to self-directed IRAs. Specifically today, the one we're talking about is unrelated business income tax or UBIT. And uh, you have a pretty sweet tool around that and some some thoughts about that. So uh, you know, tell us about your, you know, UBIT adventure. Yeah. So, you know, UBIT's this interesting thing where um, you know, a, an IRA will stay completely tax-free if you're investing in just cash assets where you're you're not leveraging and you're you're just buying stock or you're buying, let's say, a single family home all in cash and not you know, using any kind of um, a loan. When you apply leverage and you bring in debt, you earn what's called unrelated debt financed income. And that's because you're bringing in debt from an outside source that isn't tax deferred. Your IRA is there to incentivize your future dollars. And now a bank's helping those dollars earn you know, at a greater clip. Because of this, the IRS makes you pay on the portion of income that's earned by those, you know, outside your retirement account dollars. Uh, and so this can, you know, especially when investing in multifamily, it can result in a significant size tax. And it's something that investors should be aware of and should be cognizant of, you know, how impactful it might be on that ultimate investment. Uh, what I ended up doing because a lot of people, you know, they, they a lot of people make their career off of scaring people surrounding this topic. Uh, and I got a little annoyed because, you know, people say it's the worst thing ever. You need to avoid it, but they never really gave concrete answers. Um, so I come from, you know, uh, I come from an analytical background. I used to do basically sit in Excel spreadsheets doing business operations for different, different fortune 500 companies. And, uh, you know, I use those skills to create the industry's first UBIT calculator. And so what I ended up doing was building a model that allows me to figure out Roughly, how impactful UBIT's going to be, and understand if uh, you know a certain deal is going to be a, a high tax uh, result, or if it's going to be kind of a lower uh, tax result in the end. And that's really allowed me to hone in on finding the right type of investments for my investors, and you know, unfortunately, kicking aside some really good you know uh, uh, properties and deals that are you know well worth investing in their own right. But when it comes to retirement accounts, especially if you're coming at it from IRA. You should really be aware of these things, uh, and that's something that I hope to, you know, try to uncover with my my calculator. Yeah, I mean that's very important. I like what you said about 
folks have kind of made a career out of scaring people with with uh ubit and it's a it's less frightening when you kind of know what to expect and it's hard yes. to know what to expect i mean we're you know if you have a w2 you pretty much know what your marginal rates are going to be and you can pretty much figure out what your tax liability is going to be but investing in in a deal with an ira you just hear about oh the rates very high and blah 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 you know it's it's going to destroy all your your gains and everything for your calculator what does somebody need to know before before they're you know to to use the calculator you know what i mean like what kind of information do they need to have uh, as far as inputs go to figure that out yeah it's this is the tricky part um, because I am I built it last year and I'm trying to figure out how to actually implement it. And currently, it's I guess it's a bit of a misnomer when I call it a calculator because it's really a it's a spreadsheet that I have and it's very not user friendly. Uh, it was a behemoth to create. It took me hundreds of hours and it's not really something I distribute as a result because there are 58 I believe different inputs that go into it and end up you know spitting out a result. And so it's something that I typically will, you know, I'll give the results out to my investors, uh, you know, for each different uh, opportunity that we present. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. You know, a lot surrounds the the type of leverage you have, you know, the, the higher debt, the higher leverage you have on it. So if your LTV creeps up beyond 75%, you're probably going to start looking at higher UBIT taxes in the end. Lower leverage deals are always important because you're ultimately earning fewer dollars from those leveraged dollars. Interest only also, the longer the interest only period, the more you know, detrimental it can be because you're not paying down that principal and your leverage is staying high through the life of the deal. So it, you know, going through and analyzing hundreds of properties through this, this calculator has allowed me to kind of hone in on and figure out kind of averages of what we're looking at. You're typically going to look at somewhere between an 18 and maybe 28-ish percent overall tax and on your total gains. And that's typically seen on your capital gains. Most deals because of depreciation and other expenses and losses, uh, you can use those, you know, the leverage portion, you can use the their share of depreciation and expenses to help offset the overall income. So it, it really minimizes the tax you're going to see for the first probably three to four years. It can either be $0 or really just a couple hundred dollars on thousands of cash flow. Uh, it's mostly on the capital gains is where you're going to see things. And that's usually when you're going to see that, that 18 to maybe 28, 30% tax in the end. And uh, just being aware of how much that might be in the end is, is really important. Absolutely. I mean, when I, you know, years ago, when I first went to file you bid and, you know, kind of figure out what to do. I mean, I was just like completely at a loss as to what to do, you know, to track down a CPA that I felt was competent and cost-effective was very difficult. You know, this is obviously not something that I think most people are probably capable of, of filing on their own. Cause it's a fairly complicated thing to get into, but also if you're, you know, for each asset, if you're having to pay a, a CPA, just to prepare and file every year. I mean, that, that is going to eat up a pretty hefty uh, percentage of your gain. So I don't know, people have different opinions about whether or not that means, you know, you should invest in real estate with a self-directed IRA or not. I mean, it's a, it's really, I guess, subjective in anybody's call. Obviously you decided to, to move forward and 
evaluate assets, you know, individually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like any aspect in real estate, it's about building your team. And if you come at things with a self-directed IRA and you don't have the right pieces in place, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have to really find out all the different details on the fly and when they, you know, apply. And that's that's sort of why I did the research on the front half and I built my company wall to main to sort of have all that information in one place. Uh, but you know, having a strong CPA, you're absolutely right, is very key and critical. Because I mean, with my properties with my IRA, I think I pay two or three hundred dollars per asset for them to fill, you know, to work the K1 forms uh into my, I think it's 990 T form. Yes. Uh to ultimately report your UBIT. And for somebody who understands it, it's not complex. It doesn't take a long time. So the hours stay low. For somebody who doesn't understand it, you're going to pay quite a bit because they have to research the topic. They have to understand it and make sure that they're filing it properly for you. So having that team in place, whatever you're doing in real estate is key. I think one aspect of that too, that's even more often overlooked is state level UBIT because some states collect that as well. And I just feel like you don't hear that discussed as much as, you know, the federal implication of, of UBIT, but, you know, depending on what state you're investing in, you may have that additional tax liability as well. Do you have that built into your, uh, complicated calculator or are you not? <laughs> no, I, I don't, it's all at the federal level, but yeah, I mean, making sure that your your CPA understands what to look out for and which states to to check things for is pretty critical. It's, um, you know, you don't want to miss that on a report, uh, you know, and be liable to potential audits if they ever get around to auditing people again. But uh, yeah. Just want to do it right the first time and, you know, not find out the hard way later exactly. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned you also had done some uh, private money lending in addition to you know your passive investing in multifamily. You might tell us a bit about that experience and you know, I guess why it, I think the implication is you didn't you decided not to like double and triple down on that and just keep going for uh, multifamily. Yeah. I the reason I started on private money lending is because I had these funds and I knew that I knew I wanted, we were getting kind of, this was 2016, 2017. We were getting into that period where we weren't really sure where, you know, the, the economy was going. We hadn't really gotten to this, uh, you know, printing a ton of money stimulus <laughs> era right now. We're like, okay, recession may not be happening for a while anyways. So I was trying to figure out sort of how to diversify and take a greater control over my, my money. When I ended up settling on multifamily, I knew it was going to take time to set up that operation. I knew it was going to take a while to make the contacts, either whether I was looking for deals and making broker contacts and finding properties, or whether it was networking and finding other people who I can partner with uh, to, to get deals done. Uh, I knew that was going to take six months, a year, or whatever it was. And I wanted to make sure that I was keeping the velocity of capital moving. And so I moved it into private money lending. You know, it, it's it's been nice. It's it's an opportunity for me to continue growing my dollars, see them put into work uh, on the real estate front. Uh, and the nice thing is, I actually um, these guys like to you know they do a lot of their their overall social media on Instagram, so I can kind of follow along and see all the progress of the projects that you know they're doing, and I can see my dollars being put to hard work, which is really intriguing. It's a very nice way to invest. Uh, and once those funds end up, uh, you know, hitting the maturity date or the deal closes. 
uh, you know, you get your returns back and I can, I've been able to put it back into a multifamily opportunity within the week. So it's a, it's a nice pair, in my opinion, if things are a little slow, you can, you can do a short-term loan. Yeah. One of the things that gets me about private money lending, particularly for, you know, flips is, uh, it seems like it's, uh, I've not done it, but, um, it seems like it's not for the uninitiated. It's a, tends to be larger pieces of capital. There tends to be more risk, especially if you, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of operator or, or borrower risk. You know, if they're a newer, a newer flipper, they might not know. They might say, oh, it's going to be 30 grand and really it's going to be 130 because the wholesaler said it was going to be 30 or, or whatever. How have you, you know, dealt with that for your own private money lending uh, strategy? You know, it's a good point. It's not something, and I, I learned the hard way that you shouldn't go into these, you know, meetups in person and say, Hey, I've got a quarter million dollars. I'm looking to <laughs> lend out because everybody was yes. like, Hey, okay. I got an opportunity for you. Um, so yeah, you have to be pretty selective. I ended up, I would say kind of lucking into it because I probably wouldn't have gone down this path had this situation not played out. Ended up bumping into a friend who I knew from outside of real estate, who I had no idea they actually were involved in real estate. I bumped into them at one of these, you know, local real estate meetups and we kind of got to talking because I was like, I had no idea you did real estate. He goes, oh yeah, I flip. Like that's what I do primarily. Um, just had never talked about careers. Um, so, you know, he had a project with his, you know, best friend from kindergarten. Like they were just like best buddies. Uh, it was back in Boston where I actually went to college. I lived there for six years. So I knew the market itself and they had an extensive portfolio. They could show me all the timelines of when they expected to close a deal, when they did, what it looked like prior, you know, after. And so I was able to, and because it was through my friend, um, who was a part of the, the, the property and the, and the deal, I knew it was, you know, there was a little bit less risk. Um, I knew they were, they had a track record that's key. And I knew I didn't have to worry as much about their ability to close. So I was able to put a little more trust into them that way. Um, but you know, if, if you are uninitiated and you don't understand the mechanics behind it, it can be a little daunting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that's funny walking in with a, to a meeting and say, I've got a quarter million. I want to lend out. That seems like a path to it. make a bad loan. I don't know. Yeah. Not a good idea. I didn't even know what I wanted to do with it at the time. I just kind of like, can you help me come up with ideas? It's not a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Take all the risk on my project and I'll take, you know, the upside and you're taking all the risk. It sounds like a great deal, right? Nice. Well, I think they're, I, I would agree. They, they do seem to be fairly uh, complementary strategies as far as uh, deploying retirement funds and diversifying a little bit, building cash flow. So that's great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Josh, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, uh, I would say the best one I've done is actually a multifamily property that was we closed on last year. I was a limited, limited partner on it. It was a property in Memphis, Tennessee. And this thing was a gigantic 568-unit property. That was 66% vacant. It was just neglected, right. empty. It was a national uh, operator who decided on one day they would just, they would, up for 20,000 units they had, they were just going to self-manage, you know, out of nowhere. They had no clue what they were doing. <laughs> so everything went terrible. 
they they basically bundled most of their portfolio into a single transaction and they left behind some of the stragglers. And so one of them was this property and uh, they ended up putting $25,000 into each individual unit, basically ripping it down to the studs. And then COVID hit and you'd think that was actually a negative, but it was actually a positive because uh, you know they were able to clear out the property even further. It ended up down at, I think it was, we were at like 15 or 20% occupancy. But because of that, they got in, they had teams that were living on property. They brought in these contracting teams and uh, they were able to work on 60 total units every month. They pumped out 60 units a month for the last nine months. And it's back up to 75% occupancy now. It's running beautifully. And uh, they're going to be able to stabilize it probably year two and a half, three. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that one for sure. Yeah, it's a, that's a heavy lift right there. That's uh, quite some pretty Very deep heavy. value add. Yes, the deepest. Yeah, nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Okay, so I was debating what to, to bring up for this one. But uh, I'm going to end up going with a, you know, one of my stocks that I had picked at some point. I, uh, you know, I, I, my dad kind of instilled this lesson in me, invest in what you think the future holds, uh, where you think trends are going, what people are interested in. Um, and so I, I saw this opportunity in, in vaping and I was like, okay, these tobacco companies are shifting from tobacco into, um, you know, CBD vaping, all this, this space. And so we had invested in it and it was doing well. And then all this news came out about how vaping is terrible for your health and it (laughs) turns your lungs into Swiss cheese. And uh, it ended up, you know, tanking from there. I didn't lose too much, but it was a good lesson to sort of, you know, be cautious of of investing in emerging technologies and things that maybe you don't understand the full picture, do some more thorough due diligence into what you're investing in before you really fully commit um, and don't just kind of you know, throw, throw yourself in it without understanding the full picture. <laughs> Good lesson. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? For me, especially when it comes to being a, an entrepreneur, uh, it's been focused on the one thing that you're doing at a time. And so uh, when I first got involved, I tried to kind of spreading myself too thin and attacking, you know, learning a bunch of stuff and trying to grow my business across many different fronts. And if you're devoting yourself to too many different aspects and you're not focusing on one thing at a time, your effort kind of dwindles across the board. And so I've really tried my best to dive fully into one specific topic at a time. You know, I I was previously trying to build my investor database and acquire deals at the same time. And I wasn't really able to do both to to full capacity. And because of that, I dropped acquisitions and I I didn't, you know, I'm not actively looking for deals with brokers anymore because I'm dedicated to finding as many investors as I possibly can. And I'm building my list that way. Now that I have all the background and, you know, the, the, all the, the backend stuff, to automate that and make sure that it's going to grow and progress on its own, I'm able to move to the next possible thing within my my business and uh, and really grow from there. Nice, great. Well, Josh, thank you for joining us today. I think this is a UBIT is a very important topic that is not talked about enough. And retirement account investing in real estate is, I think, not treated with sufficient nuance and. We got into some of the nuances today. 
for folks, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you out there, they want to track you down, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, my website is wall2main.com. Uh, on that site, I've got a ton of different educational materials, uh, video and copy based for you to kind of learn about how to use your retirement accounts. I also am offering a free PDF, the top 10 tips and tricks when investing in multifamily with your retirement account. And it gives you kind of all the different, you're right, nuances of, of what you can, what you can't do and ways you can kind of get around those things and make sure that you're investing properly and maximizing your potential. Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.